The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Not hardware. The mind is more like software. And so it can be, um, you can pro- program it. <laughs> you, can, um, uh, you can shape it. It can be conditioned. And um, rather than an analogy of, um, of um, a computer, um, the analogy that I, that I like a lot for how we kind of cultivate the mind in Buddhism and Buddhist practice is when my son was in uh, kindergarten, they had, um, uh, once a week, they had um, um, beeswax work. They would bring the beeswax out and they would um, shape it and make it into, you know, a little art project, make it into things. And there was a whole kind of ritual or way in which that was done in the class where they would take these, uh, the cold, hard, brittle beeswax off the shelf and the kids would first hold it in their hands, both hands, in the palms of both hands. And while the kids held it there, the teachers would tell a story. And uh, so the kids would listen and hold and hold it long enough so eventually the, the beeswax got soft. And when it got soft enough, then they would knead it and massage it until it got really kind of much more malleable and pliable. And it was pliable enough, then they would, the kids would shape it into something beautiful. So it's the same thing with our mind, uh, our hearts, is that um, it's easy to have a, live a life where our hearts become uh, hard and cold and brittle. And... Um, and so the um, oh, let me say I didn't say introduction is if um, if some of you are new, we have hearing assistant devices. Can everyone hear okay? I can't. Those people who can't hear, I'm not going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we have these hearing assistant devices. If you have trouble hearing, that they're in a box over there outside the counter. So our minds, uh, you know, it's easy. We live a stressed life, tense life. Many people do too many things. Uh, and so in that tension and stress, the mind, fear, resistance, defensiveness, uh, selfishness, many things that, can, that actually create, helps the mind, the heart, become hard, tight, and brittle, and you know, stressful. And uh, it's very hard to shape or influence or do something nice, make something beautiful out of the mind when the mind is stressed out. And so the first thing is needs is we uh, have to kind of relax, calm down, soften Hold your heart, your mind, in something the equivalent of the warm, loving palms of your hand. And so, uh, so there has to be some, in Buddhism, some preliminary settling, calming down, feeling safe, uh, comfortable enough that uh, you can lower your guard and not be, kind of be hyper alert or hyper stressed out or hyped up, uh, you know, distracted in your thoughts. And once you get mind gets calm and settled enough, um, then uh, at some point it gets soft enough that it can be shaped. And we shape it with our best intentions. We can shape it with many things. And it's, it's a little bit dangerous because if you have a very relaxed mind, uh, you can be shaped by things that are not so healthy if you're not careful. But, um, but uh, what we do is we take the best qualities that human beings have and we can kind of uh, uh, value those qualities and try to cultivate those and develop those in ourselves so that we can take, have some responsibility for the shape, the quality, the attitudes that uh, shape our mind. Because the attitudes, the color, the shape of our minds affects how we see the world, affects how we see ourselves, and affects how we behave in the world. And, and, uh, and all those things together affect the kind of degree to which we can feel happy, peaceful, 
and the degree to which we can create conditions for happiness and peace for others. And so, in Buddhism, there's a very strong emphasis on taking responsibility for our mind and caring for it. And the word for mind and heart in Buddhism is uh, synonymous, so I go back and forth. Um, uh, I like the word heart, but every once in a while I feel it's too sentimental, so I say mind. But then it feels too cold and, and, and intellectual, so then I go back to heart, so I bounce around. So you have to be, you have to be patient with me. And... Um, so we take some responsibility for the shape of it, since it's a process, it's not a thing. And, uh, and then uh, we try to cultivate that which is most beneficial for us. And one of the things that's very beneficial is uh, the quality of, of what's called in Buddhism, metta. Uh, in those of you who know Sanskrit, it's maitri. And it's um, usually translated into English as loving kindness. Though there are other translations as well. Another common one is goodwill. Uh, sometimes it's translated as friendliness um, and um, benevolence. It, it's, um, it's cultivating, um, uh, it's not just an attitude of love, but it's, it's a certain quality of good-heartedness where we wish, we, we have an aspiration or a wish or intention for someone's happiness. Um, the expression of, uh, of this loving-kindness is not, you know, love is complicated, what love is. Uh, some, certainly some of it is appreciation, delight in someone else and feeling delight and appreciation and value in someone else. Um, some people have kind of lo- uh, tied to love as wanting to be, wanting that person or to be close to that person. It's kind of a desire, a yearning connected to it. For the practice of metta or this loving kindness, that appreciation and, and, and delighting in others is connected to um, the wish that they be happy. Um, I remember uh, many years ago I was... Some a friend of mine came back from Mexico and came with a little kind of Mexican amulet. I think it was a little heart and um, a little silver one. And she gave it to me as kind of just as a loving gift. And I stuck it in my pocket. And it was in my pocket, my pants, for a long time. And, uh, and then I went to do some bureaucratic thing at a consulate in downtown San Francisco. And um, I had trouble finding parking and I was late. And, you know, I don't know what else. It was kind of... And anyway, for one reason or other, I was grumpy. And um, I stuck my hand in my pocket, and uh, I felt that little amulet, little heart, and I remembered, oh, there's this person who wishes me well. And thinking about her wishing me well, my grumpiness vanished. There's something very significant about wishing someone well, just knowing someone wishes you well. Have you ever been in a situation where um, someone tells you, that a third person is saying nice things about you or wishing you well. Like, you know, you hear it secondhand. Wow, that's kind of special. So this quality, this intention, this desire to want someone to be well is a a central part of what this uh, loving kindness is. And uh, and so it's a seed. We we consider it a a thought seed initially. And we plant that thought seed into the soil of our heart and then we water it, we grow it, we develop it. So it becomes more than just a thought, it becomes an attitude. It's not just simply an intention. The intention uh, uh, grows and becomes an attitude. And the attitude can grow and become a whole feeling state and the whole orientation about how we want to live our life. Uh, and so we tend to come into the world not with greed, not with hate, not with fear, um, uh, not with uh, you know, selfish preoccupation. But we come to the, into the world with... Um, 
with an attitude or a predisposition uh, to see what's the kind thing here? How do we kind? How do we be supportive? Um, so here in Buddhism, what we do is we, we, so to summarize, in Buddhism we take responsibility for our inner psychological life and we try to cultivate the inner psychological lives that are more, much more beneficial than some of the things that we can commonly be in ordinary life. And th- that inner, inner work of cultivation is the work of med- usually the work of meditation practice. And we're cultivating that. In mindfulness meditation, which is a, a meditation practice of paying attention, it's a little bit more silent. Loving-kindness meditation is a little bit more like, maybe it should be called loving-kindness contemplation because it's actually using thoughts, uh, using th- uh, thinking in a very particular way to help develop and inculcate this kind of attitude or this approach or this intention. Um, now, also, um, you might think, some of you might say, well, that's fine, nice, uh, makes sense. But what, what you probably don't understand or don't know is that when this, uh, this intention is developed in a concentrated way in meditation, um, it's a phenomenal thing happens when all our different, all our faculties get concentrated, get composed and collected, unified around wanting goodwill, having goodwill. So uh, usually the human mind is scattered and a busy life some people live. And so, you know, we're, we're, we might be upset about what someone said to us earlier today, but we're already planning a meal for tomorrow. Um, and we are... You know, um, um, you know, fantasizing about, you know, I don't know. There's all these different things that can go on at the same time, and and even if we do stay on one thing for a little while, we often jump around quite a bit. And so our feelings, our our, our feelings linger from earlier in the day. Uh, we have feelings about the future. We have thoughts about earlier in the day. We have thoughts about the future, and they all um, um, uh, mingle together. Uh, one of the functions of meditation is to take all the fractured ways which we are and, and overcome the fracturedness and make us unified and collected so we're, all, we're, all, we're doing the same thing at the same time. We're all, kind of, all our energies are focused in one place. Uh, so we're not drained by the, all the different things we're doing. And a phenomenal thing can happen when we get collected and unified around goodwill. Uh, the mind can get phenomenally concentrated and very still and very radiant, and a feeling of kind of being boundless. And kind of like there's no boundaries to the edges of consciousness, of awareness. Like a, almost like no, no, no boundaries to the edges of our, our being, who we are. And if there's no edges to who we are, then the attitude, that's the, the attitude which fills who we are doesn't stay bounded into our little kind of body, but feels like it extends way beyond who we are out into boundless space. And so then, uh, when meditation practice developed really strongly, it's, uh, what's cultivated is uh, what's called boundless loving-kindness. And um, it's one of the great things to experience. Um, and you know, it's a deep, deep meditative um, spiritual state to enter into. And when people go into that far deep into meditation like that, then when you come out of it, what lingers is a very powerful kind of um, atmosphere, a very powerful kind of state of love that you can it's almost palpable in the people who are kind of connected to it. Um, 
So what for this course? Uh, it's four weeks, <clears throat> and I will introduce you to uh, one of the most basic ways, techniques for doing loving-kindness meditation that's connected to our tradition. There's many ways of doing it, but kind of the way we do it. And uh, it's usually taught systematically, uh, and there's, uh, there's different steps to the practice. And um, we'll start with um, kind of the first step, um, and then uh, today, and more introduction to it. And then next time, uh, we'll go on to other steps, but also next time we'll, go, we'll also go, go to the pre-step. Uh, there's a pre-step, be kind of, but I, I thought we would wait for the pre-step. Actually, I'll tell you, the pre-step is uh, sometimes is done is a um, practice of forgiveness. But I thought, I thought we would wait for the second week to do forgiveness and to introduce you to that. And then uh, that kind of sets the stage for um, a little bit easier to do the loving kindness because if you're holding resentment, it's hard to do it. And, um, and so anyways, for these four weeks, we'll go through the different steps and I'll give you a basic uh, introduction. It will help uh, uh, you'll understand much better how to apply what we do in the class if you um, practice this at home during the week, I'd recommend that you do every, practices every day. If you have a regular meditation practice, I'd recommend that you just uh, switch it over and mostly do it as loving-kindness meditation and try it out. And it might be like riding a bicycle, learning to ride a bicycle, where at first it's you know, a little bit wobbly, but it's well worth uh, wobbling for a while until you learn. And, um, and if you don't have a daily meditation practice, then I would recommend that you, uh, for this four weeks, that you do it 20 minutes, meditate 20 minutes every day uh, for this period and do this loving-kindness meditation as part of it. Um, so that's probably um, enough as an introduction. Um, I think that uh, how this kind of um, introduction to loving-kindness works best is if, um, is if it's mostly uh, done through meditation itself rather than me, you know, blabbing away, like I do with the regular other inter-class where I just talk and talk. Um, so, um, that's the, so I plan to do, we'll do a kind of series of short meditations during these classes. And uh, for those of you who are new to meditation, because they're relatively short, uh, hopefully that, you know, it's, it, it works for you as well. So with that, let's, um, let's start with one. And, um, and this will be uh, not... Uh, doing loving-kindness meditation so much. There will be a piece of it. But this will be the equivalent of uh, holding the beeswax in your hand um, where you kind of lovingly hold it so you can kind of begin relaxing and soft, so we can soften you up a little bit. So, um, so you've been sitting for a while. If you'd like to stand for a moment, those of you especially, if you need to get some circulation going before you're sitting for about 15 minutes, you're welcome to stand and stretch a little bit. So, um, in, uh, generally, uh, when we do mindfulness meditation, the emphasis on a meditation posture is on, on alert posture, alert and comfortable. When we do loving-kindness meditation, the emphasis is a comfortable posture, a comfortable and alert posture. 
So um, it's very important when you do loving kindness to be comfortable, but not so comfortable you fall asleep. So you have to have some alertness, but you don't want to be sitting with discomfort. And if as you're meditating, if you start feeling uncomfortable, please feel free to move, change your posture, make yourself comfortable again. So taking a comfortable posture, if you'd like, you can gently close your eyes. If you're more comfortable with your eyes open, that's fine to keep them open. And the idea first is to just tune in to this body of yours sitting here. Some of you might have been busy, busy days, busy mental days. And haven't tuned in so well to your body in the course of the day. And feel your body. And then as you feel your body, perhaps you feel tensions and different things. See if you can hold your body Approach your body with some kindness, some goodwill, some and then within your body, as part of your body, take a few long, slow, deep breaths. As you breathe in deeply, feel it as a, maybe as a, from the inside, a loving massage, stretching the rib cage, the shoulders. And then as you exhale, maybe longer, slowing exhale than usual. It's kind of like a loving ah. Maybe even silently in your head, if it's helpful, you can even say that. Ah, kind of relax as you exhale. Settle in. breath return to normal. And uh, the ability to have kindness, love, goodwill is connected to our breathing. It's hard to love if the breathing is tight or tense. So it can be helpful just to tune in to your breathing and see if it's possible to breathe with a little bit more ease. Breathe in an easy way. Relax with your breath.
And if there's anything that troubles you, could you sit here in the day or any time at all? It's okay. But perhaps you can bring a kind attention to those feelings or thoughts. Kind of like the way a kindergarten child would hold in the palm of their hand their beeswax. Just hold yourself kindly, patiently. sit quietly here for just a few minutes. And when the mind wanders off in thought, gently come back again to your breathing. Since we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation, it's really supported by not being harsh or judgmental or critical about anything, how it's going here, but just hold it all openly, lightly, easily, and comfortably come back to your breathing, feeling your breath, riding on your breathing.
when you find yourself caught up in thinking, see if you can relax a little bit. Soften the mind. Let go and come back for a few couple more, more minutes just to breathe, breathing in and breathing out. As we sit quietly, meditating on the breath, one of the functions of doing so is to help us begin to let go of unnecessary feelings that we are not safe. Many people carry around with them obvious and, and both obvious and subtle feelings of some, something is wrong, not safe, there's danger. People are anxious about all kinds of things. And generally people, the anxiety people feel, this lack of safety people feel, as real as it is for many people, it's not all the time. And then my hope is that sitting here in this room, meditating now, that here you can let go of feelings of fear. As you exhale, to let go of places where you feel unsafe, 
for these few minutes. It's a beautiful thing to feel safe. And it's a beautiful thing to want to feel safe. And in part, loving-kindness meditation is built on recognizing the wish, the desire for this beautiful thing of safety. And can you find in yourself as we sit here some healthy and perhaps beautiful wish that you live a life free of anxiety. Free of oppression, hostility. Many people often feel unhappy, dissatisfied in some way with their lives. But everyone has the capacity, potential of feeling happy. And hopefully there have been times in your life where you felt happy so you know that that potential is one that you have as well. And if you can, and the desire, the wish for you, for yourself to be happy is a beautiful wish. If it can be free of expectation or demand or disappointment, dismissing and can you find inside of yourself someplace in the corners of your heart the idea that it would be great if you could be happy happier and that and to appreciate that wish Okay, wish to have. It's an important one to have. Quiet, perhaps, wish.
And then I hope that at some point in your life you've had experienced some degree of peace or ease. And then you know the difference between a stressful life and a peaceful life. And that you have some appreciation of the value of feeling at peace. And that perhaps you can find some relaxed corner of your heart that has the wish, the aspiration that you experience peace more often. And this also is a beautiful wish, can be a beautiful wish when it's very simple, without demand or expectation or So then to finish this first meditation, you can take a few long, deep breaths. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes. As I said earlier, <clears throat> the Buddhist word metta is translated many ways in English, loving kindness being the most common. And um, I like the word kindness a lot. And, um, and one of the reasons I like it is that uh, it, it uh, speaks to the idea of in kind, being kind of similar and same. So it's a feeling of, that comes when we feel that we're similar to others. We feel our common humanity, our common heart, and so it's that that seeing seeing each other as as um, fellow members of the human family that allows for kind of a universal kindness to come up. But also because the word kindness, and we have the word you know humankind, you know the human family. But also the word kind kind uh, in ancient uh, ancient and you know old English. It also meant something like uh, what was innate or natural within us. And, um, and I like this because uh, kindness, the capacity for kindness, compassion, caring, love, is uh, an innate capacity for many, many people. And uh, one of the reasons why it's important to uh, relax a little bit before we do loving-kindness meditation is that the beautiful, what's beautiful and innate within us
um, is, can easily be covered over and hidden by stress, anxiety, busyness, uh, preoccupations, all kinds of other things. And if we can learn to relax uh, and settle down all the kind of things that cover over the heart, then the heart has a chance, has a chance to, to shine forth what's, what's there. And um, uh, what I've, and this, is, this was my discovery of the world of compassion, of kindness, of loving kindness, was um, as I did my Zen practice, uh, I just, mostly it was just a lot of meditation practice. And as I sat with, sat with myself and sat with myself and faced myself and struggled with myself, slowly the, the crusts around my heart began to break up and dissolve and, and fall, fall off. And as the crusts began to kind of fall off, then the natural sensitivity of the heart was there. And so it wasn't so much a matter of, it wasn't at all a matter of importing some idea, thou shalt be kind or else. Um, but rather it was, um, it wasn't an obligation at all, but rather it, it came as a natural expression of what's in the heart when the heart is relaxed and feels safe. So I like the word kindness because the, the, the etymology of that word points back to this idea of something innate or something natural within us. And I believe that's the case, that we have a much better chance to, um, uh, to feel love if we feel safe and relaxed. If we feel stressed and, and, uh, and uh, afraid uh, or angry, then other things will come out. In fact, if we're angry, probably anger, <coughs> anger will come out. And if, if we're angry, that, that's kind of like the part of the crusts that, that makes it hard to see what's deep inside. So, so we began the sitting by just sitting quietly and, um, and seeing if you can just relax and be still, uh, shed some of the concerns of the day. And after a few minutes of that, uh, then I try to point towards um, uh, it's kind of reflection about safety, about uh, happiness, about peace and ease, and the beauty of uh, wishing for that, having aspirations for that. It's, 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 you know, it's more beautiful, of course, to be deeply happy than to wish to be happy, but it's quite beautiful to wish it for someone, to wish it for yourself or to wish it for someone else. Um, so uh, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit before we do our next sitting meditation to go take this a little bit further what that was like for some of you to sit here quietly and then at some point turn towards uh, these qualities of uh, this, this kind of these wishes or intentions for uh, safety or happiness or peace within you. If you could use the mic, that would be helpful, please. I, I practice metta uh, quite a bit and I um, always had a question though um, when it comes to wishing uh, myself or happiness for myself I, I sometimes struggle with it because part of what brought me to Buddhism was sort of turning away from sort of this, this selfishness that I that I had before and so I when, when I say well no, I, I should be happy it's sort of like it's going backwards almost like well, I shouldn't focus on my own happiness I should focus on the happiness of others and so it's I just wanted you to comment on that because I know you have to you have to feel um, open Toward being happy, uh, being open, uh, so that you can project happiness toward other people. And I guess that starts with yourself, and so I guess it, it's yeah. uh, it's important. But there's this sort of uh, tension sometimes where you don't want to 
revert back to sort of uh, selfishness and so right. I think that's a great great question <clears throat> and uh, so it's it, uh, to that part of loving kindness which will uh, that has to do with the, uh, um, doing loving kindness towards oneself uh, the um, you know what's how how do you distinguish that from being selfish selfish preoccupation I thought religious life was about altruistic and dropping any self-concern and loving everybody else um, uh, uh, Buddhism doesn't have a strong divide or duality between self and other that uh, some of the, uh, the discussion about altruism suggests. Um, and sometimes a, some currents of Western thought or univer- of, uh, makes a very sharp distinction between being either altruistic or selfish. And, um, and uh, you shouldn't be selfish, you'd be altruistic. But if that separation is too strong, then we don't take care of ourselves. And if you don't take care of yourselves, then you can't really uh, help others very well. And so, you know, so how do you take care of yourself best, um, and, uh, is the question. And is it okay to want to take care of yourself? Uh, and can you do that in a way that's not selfish? Um, selfishness has uh, clinging as part of it. It has um, um, uh, attachment to self-identity as part of it. It has uh, usually expectation that other people are going to see you in a certain way. Um, so, uh, so, but it's possible to be free of those and to uh, have a very simple, innocent, almost wish that this human being here, I'm a human being too, just like everybody else, um, and can this human being uh, be, be, be happy and well? And the happier this one is, the more uh, you have to give to others. And the, and the more deeply you can understand someone else. I mean, imagine that, um, that um, you know, I really wanted to understand someone who spoke Bulgarian and uh, only spoke Bulgarian. You know, you know, I could I could dance around, I could look at them and study them and watch them follow their life and everything. But until I learn Bulgarian and really find out what's going on with them and talk to them, maybe I really won't understand them. So you know, you might want someone to be happy, but until you learn to be happy, how could you really understand the depth of what's possible for them? So, so in Buddhism, we don't make a sharp distinction between you know, self and other. It's a mutual system. And we see ourselves as being an equal member of the human family, e- equally deserving of well-being and happiness as we would for anybody else. And we say in Buddhism that there's a certain kind of conceit play, that plays out, a certain kind of selfishness that plays out when you say, when you reject yourself because it's too selfish, that's also selfish because you're, you, you've signaled yourself out, you've separated yourself out from all the other people and say, you know, I'm supposed to focus on everyone else but me and there's a kind of conceit there as well. And so if you, if you really soften conceit, soften selfishness, I think it becomes quite natural that if you have the splinter in your foot, you'll pull the splinter out. Uh, you're not going to go walk around with a splinter because you're supposed to be taking care of everybody else's splinters. Um, and so if you have a splinter in your heart, uh, you know, it's natural you take it out. And it's not we don't consider it selfish. It can be. And that's part of the task here is to separate that out and, and let fall to the wayside of the selfishness. Make some sense? Someone else? Any comments about that meditation?
I had one thing that yeah. popped into my head as soon as you were explaining the whole concept was just like when you're in an airplane and they tell you to put the mask on yourself first before the other person. I always, every time I hear that, sometimes I'm like, oh, that sounds so awful, especially when they're talking about children. But then it's like, well, you're not going to be any good if you're passing out in the midst of putting a mask on someone else. Right. So, I don't know. That was just a visual that was helpful right. for me. If you want to be a lifeguard, you should first learn to swim. <laughs> well, I don't want to put all of you on the spot, but um, I hope that as we go through this class that uh, there'll be a chance for some <clears throat> hearing from you, how it goes, because then I think it becomes richer for all of us. So maybe in the next weeks, as we go along, then we'll go further. But let me do now another meditation then, and then there'll be a chance I'll ask you after this some questions. But before I do the meditation... Um, I would like to um, so um, the core aspect of loving kindness meditation has to do with this aspiration, this wish that someone be happy uh, so it's, it's a caring wish it's kind of comes, compassion is the wish that someone be free of suffering that's the essence of compassion and then we hopefully act on it loving kindness is the wish for someone to be uh, happy in Buddhism, we say, in our school of Buddhism, we say that that simple wish of loving kindness, that someone be happy, is the foundation for other forms of love. And we have in our tradition four kinds of love that we talk about. There's a love of loving kindness. There's a love of compassion. There's a, a kind of love that we call sympathetic joy. And that, that's the kind of love where... where where the, uh, someone you know is, is really happy <clears throat> and you delight with them as opposed to being jealous or envious. You delight in them. And then there's a, 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 very, a very unusual kind of love <clears throat> that we call equanimity. <clears throat> and that's the, that's the love, it's also called grandmotherly love. And it's the love of a grandmother. It means his grandmother, she's raised kids already and she has his grandkids. <clears throat> And, uh, and her, uh, her love for children is so different than first-time parents. First-time parents, uh, you know, some of them I know, first-time, <laughs> can get uh, so excited, and, uh, you know, and, and um, concerned, uh, you know, oh, what does this mean, my child? Oh, you know, it's terrible. And, uh, you, know, they, you know, the grandmother's seen it all. It's not a big deal, <laughs> you know. So, you know, the, the you know, this kid scrapes their knee. You know, you care for the kid. The grandmother comes and cares properly, but the grandmother's not, you know, calling 911. <laughs> or, uh, you know, I've had little kids, you know, it's amazing how quickly they can go from saying, um, <clears throat> um, I want to marry you, to saying, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, first-time parents might like to take it seriously. But, uh, you, know, grand- oh, you know, grandparents, you know, this is just what kids do, and they hold it with great equanimity. So this equ- equanimity, is, that's what we call it, grand- it's, it's a kind of love, but it's a love that can hold things in a much more balanced, open way, with some certain kind of wisdom. So loving kindness is very important for our tradition because it's a foundation for these other kinds of love. And at the essence, it has to do with the wish, the intention for someone to be happy. And, and, uh, and we take this wish, like a seed, we plant this thought seed, and then we uh, water it and let it grow. And we get focused, we get, or- we get, uh, we get uh, composed, or we break all the different ways in which we, we kind of be scattered, 
we, we unscatter ourselves and focus ourselves on this particular wish. As we get more and more focused on any one thing like this, that, uh, just like we focus on the breath, the, the mind gets stiller and quieter. And here it gets stiller and quieter around this particular beautiful intention, as opposed to the breath, which is a little more neutral kind of thing to get yourself focused on. And, um, and so the principle, so we do, so the, the classic way is first you do loving kindness towards yourself. Then you do it to um, a benefactor, someone who's uh, been a great supporter of you, helpful, helped you in your life. In the and then you do it towards someone who's a friend. And then you do it to someone who's what's called a neutral person. And we'll talk about what that means to be a neutral person. But someone who's basically, you know, neither a friend nor enemy. And then uh, you do it to what's called, and classically it's called the enemy. And um, like the Dalai Lama said, uh, you know, my friend, the enemy, the Chinese. So, so, the, um, so then you do it towards your enemy. In America, a lot of the Western Buddhist teachers don't like the word enemy so much. So uh, they'll say difficult person. Difficult person in your life. And, um, and uh, so it's very interesting that the, the... So the idea is to take... Start with yourself. And in Buddhism, the idea is that it's completely natural and healthy to want to be happy for yourself. And rather than keeping it there, uh, then you do it towards easy, friends and people like that. And then you expand it outwards and you, you universalize it. So eventually you can have the same equal attitude of kindness, of goodwill towards everyone. Even the people who are difficult in your life. Even your so-called enemies. And, um, and uh, that movement towards universalizing it is certainly one of the ways that uh, breaks open the tendency to be selfish. Because we're not keeping it just here. It's everyone that we, we open our hearts to in this kind of way. And so on one hand, people say, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't do it towards myself because that's selfish. But then we get to everyone, people, no, I can't do that because if I do everyone, then they'll take advantage of me. You know, that's not safe either. So, so where's the middle line? You know, so this is part of the struggle or the, the wrestling of loving kindness is to be able to find a way, a healthy way to bring out the loving kindness to all beings everywhere. Um, and to universalize it. So we do it in this kind of systematic way. The principle is we always start uh, offering loving kindness to the person for whom it's easiest for us to offer it to. I knew one person who did it who had such a hard time finding anyone uh, that she finally used her dog. <laughs> and I've known people also had a hard time and find, finally used the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama represented something beautiful for her. And, um, but the principle is who, where it's easiest because what you don't want to do with loving kindness practice is to get tied up in shoulds, obligations. I'm supposed to be this loving person, and I'm not doing it right, and I'm supposed to do it this way, you know, to, you know whatever. Um, you, you're not doing it. There's no shoulds and no obligation involved in loving kindness. You, you don't have to burden yourself with some idea you're supposed to be the most loving person in Redwood City because of this. Um, the uh, the idea is to um, there's no obligation, but there's just a, just a you, st- you try to take what's easy, hopefully what's natural, and then slowly begin stretching it and extending it into pl- more, more and more difficult places. Or you, so it becomes, slowly, you expand the heart and it becomes universal. It's not something you can do instantly, but it's a, it's a practice and something you develop. And as you do it, you're bumping up against a lot of issues. Uh, it's not a smooth path. You bump into, up into all kinds of issues of uh, uh, past resentments and angers, 
frustration, fears you have, concerns you have, philosophies you have about life. A lot of things have to be grappled with as we kind of expand and stretch the heart to be so universal. But we start where it's easiest. Now, in the ancient Buddhist tradition, the expectation was that the easiest person to do it to was to yourself. Now, the Buddha didn't live in modern America. So in here, and there's plenty of people in modern America for whom it's, it's actually quite difficult to start with oneself because many people in the West have very conflicted, at the best, relationships with themselves. A lot of self-criticism and all kinds of issues go on. Um, the, um, maybe you've heard the... Um, maybe if, in case of some of you haven't heard this beautiful story, maybe you'll cry when you hear it. Uh, some, when it uh, at some point, the Dalai Lama was teaching to Westerners and someone asked him, um, it's a question around uh, the topic of self-hate. And, um, and he, was being, he was being translated into English, Tibetan, and back and forth. And so someone asked this question, and the Dalai Lama turned to the translator, and they went on back and forth for a long time. And no one knew, what are they talking about? They were going back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and finally, the Dalai Lama, kind of like a light bulb went off in his head somehow, somehow and he started crying. And what, I don't know who the, the translator Dalai Lama said it, but um, he had never heard of the concept of self-hate. It was a foreign concept to him, so it took a while for him to understand what the person was saying. Somehow in his culture, that wasn't uh, an idea, a concept. So it's common enough in our culture. So if you have that kind of feeling towards yourself, uh, uh, don't feel bad. <laughs> don't use that for another reason to hate you. Don't use that for another reason to hate yourself. Um, but, you know, hold it all lightly as best you can. In this, for this course, we'll do the classic sequence of starting with yourself. But uh, if, you, if this doesn't work for you, yourself, then um, as a way of beginning, you know, if you're your most difficult person, maybe you want to do that last. <laughs> and, um, and so, but the idea is to choose where it's easiest and then, and then focus on there. So if it's a benefactor, someone who loves you clearly, if it's your dog, you know, you know start there. And, uh, and, uh, and let that be the focus for this week. But here for this meditation now, we're going to do um, uh, more focused on oneself. So again, I, you've been sitting for a while. If you might need to stretch. Please feel free to stand and stretch. And So, um, again, take a comfortable posture. And in taking a comfortable and somewhat alert posture, that can be the beginning of caring for yourself. It's expressing a certain care and concern for your well-being by, by how you sit. And if it's comfortable, you can close your eyes. And um, take a couple of deep breaths. 
Relax as you exhale. And then breathing normally. Now some people find it helpful in doing loving-kindness meditation to bring their attention to the area around their heart and breathe in and out through the heart center, perhaps feeling some tenderness there as you breathe in and out. And with whatever whatever kind regard that you can muster up sincerely, appropriately, have an image or an idea or a sense of yourself being here. Turn towards yourself, be aware of yourself sitting here and kind of hold yourself or regard yourself with some kindness. See if you can, in this kind regard, you can find some intention, some wish that you be happy, that you be safe, that you be healthy. and that you be at peace. A little bit, there's some like, like a kind of a hybrid between a mantra and a prayer. The practice of loving kindness is to express these intentions, these wishes for happiness and safety and health and peace. To, in very and silently in one's mind, to say a little statement that expresses this wish, giving expression to the wish helps it st- get stronger or get recognized. As so we say it by repeating silently phrases, I will say a phrase, and then silently to yourself repeat the phrase to yourself letting the meaning of the phrase kind of resonate within, or letting yourself sink into the meaning. May I be happy.
may I be safe. May I be healthy. be at peace. And the idea is to repeat these phrases repeatedly, around and around. And of course the mind will wander away in thought. And when it does that, you come back and begin the phrases again developing a concentration or a focus on these phrases. I like to imagine that when I say each phrase, the last word is like I drop it, like a pebble I drop into a pond. I drop the pebble, I drop the word into my heart and let it kind of, the ripples just ripple out from there the sense, the feeling, the resonance of that word. So you can again repeat silently after me. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I be at peace. The idea of ripples works well for me because as the ripples of the words go out, I see if I can relax my body, soften my body around the phrases, the end of the phrases, soften into. So repeat again, may I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy.
May I be at peace. So in doing this, we're bringing together three things. There's that wish or intention that we have. There are the words that express that intention. And then there's the sense or the image that we have of ourselves. Perhaps seeing ourselves, imagining ourselves as someone who can be happy or someone who's of great value, importance. seeing ourselves as dignified human being. And these three things together we hold simultaneously. So we're kind of focused on all on this. And then again, repeating the phrases. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I May I be at peace. And for the, so for the next three or four minutes, if you can just continue to repeat these phrases on your own, just cycle through them, trying to stay connected to the words and the intention, and letting it resonate through your body as you do so.
So then to end this meditation, you can take a couple of deep breaths. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. This way of doing loving-kindness meditation, uh, we say these phrases, repeat these phrases over and over again. And um, I'd like to think of them a little bit as a hybrid between a prayer and a mantra, uh, because a mantra is just this rep- repetition you do, but uh, the prayer is you know, some kind of deeper wish or hope that we're expressing in words. And um, so it's, both are going on here. The, um, we're not praying to someone, just really le- allowing some deep intention within us to kind of come forth. Um, there are many v- uh, v- versions of these four phrases, and you might have heard of others. Other teachers teach them a little bit differently. Um, and in fact, there's nothing you don't have to, you don't have, you don't have to stick to these wordings of it. Uh, it's quite fine to be creative, and if you have your own words, a little phrase, short phrase that expresses your intention of goodwill. Um, you can choose your own, make up your own. Um, but, uh, you know, you do these phrases. Uh, how, how you say those phrases in your inner mind, as your inner voice, is important. So you might want to pay a little bit of attention to the inner voice uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't work so well to say, you know, may I be happy. <laughs> you know, and as a command, you know. And so some people have, are very harsh in there. Um, and so you want to listen. So you want to see if you can make some kind of, you know, adjustment to that inner voice, um, or if you're really, you're really sloppily sentimental in the way you do it. Maybe that's not helpful either. So maybe you want to kind of you know, be a little more neutral or something. But you know, f- find some quiet, uh, you know, appropriately loving kind of way, the, the soft, gentle way of, of you know, have the inner voice do this stuff. Um, and if you're doing it uh, for someone else. You can say, instead of I, you can say, may you be happy. Or sometimes it's helpful to say their name. Um, you know, may, may George be happy. Um, you know, just to, um, you know, so you can just, the same phrases, just, you know, different pronoun. And, um, and as we, as we uh, go through it, especially if you do it for 20 minutes or so, uh, a variety of different things might happen to you. Uh, you might end up feeling more loving, warm and loving. That happens great. But don't set that up as an expectation. That's what's supposed to happen. Um, intentions are very, very powerful. And the intentions that we feed are more important, have more, greater value than what we feel. And some people focus so much on how they feel. It's so important how they feel. But our intentions are more important and they're more, more enduring in some ways. What, so like if you strengthen this intention without feeling loving... Uh, it might be that the next day or later in the day you're in a situation that's challenging for you and somehow magically that intention of goodwill surfaces in that, diff- oh, you know, I think I made her hold my mouth here. What would be the kind thing to do here? I don't feel loving, but I think I, wa- I would like to find what the kind thing to do here is because that intention has been strengthened and intention travels underground in the consciousness and comes out in different ways. So you don't have to feel loving. If you do feel loving, great. And, uh, and if you do feel kind of feelings of warmth or tenderness or something as you do it, 
let that grow as you as you do it. If instead you feel if you feel neutral, fine, that's okay. If you feel if you get angry as you do this, don't despair. Part of the functional loving kindness practice is to dislodge what's buried inside. And some people carry a lot of anger, resentment, all kinds of deep feelings. And as the crusts of the heart dissolve, the, you know, it's not necessarily all pretty that's in there. And so the deeper stuff has a chance to surface. And uh, so don't take it as being a mistake that if you start getting angry or something doing it, or just take it as being part of what's supposed to, what happens with the cl- that cleansing process. And, uh, and then see if you can hold the angry side of you or the angry, that par- angry part of you with some goodwill and kindness as well. And, uh, and just hold it all in this kind of larger context of goodwill and let it all kind of sort itself out rather than you kind of judging it or being upset with it, trying to fix it. Just continue with the practice and hold it lightly. Um, so um, the practice can be done in many different creative ways. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about the week goes along, some of the more info- creative ways that can be done to help you learn how to be more creative with it. But for the first week, I'd recommend you keep it really simple and basic in this most basic way that it's taught. Just these four phrases, repeating them over and over again. Um, and uh, at least 20 minutes a day, I would hope recommend you do it. And, um, and it's like riding a bike, you're wobbly at first. Uh, some of you will find that this is not, you know, didn't think, oh, this wasn't my cup of tea after all. I didn't know what it was, you know, this is not. Do it anyway. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, find your way. You know, you'll find something very interesting if you just kind of keep it up and, and explore it. And, and one of the things I can tell you is that loving-kindness meditation doesn't work if you don't do it. So, uh, you know, don't, don't decide it doesn't work and then prove yourself true by not doing it. The, um, um, but one of, the, one, of the more, one of the creative ways I'd like to recommend you add to this week, beyond your 20 minutes of meditation every every is I'd recommend that you find, um, uh, uh, you, look, look, uh, you pay attention to the course of the daily life, to uh, uh, little periods where you're waiting for something to happen. Basically, all that's going on is you're waiting. Uh, like you're waiting for the traffic light to turn green. You know, you have, you know, it can be as much as 30 seconds or 60 seconds, some lights. Um, and sit there, and you, know, you could sit there and do what your mind usually does. Maybe it's not so pretty even. Um, but uh, instead of that, um, uh, just sit there, look at the light, wait for it to turn green, and sit there and do some loving kindness. Just do the practice. If you're standing in line it's at the supermarket, you're waiting, right? You could read uh, the National Enquirer. Uh, or you can sit here and, and just stand there and just to kind of do it yourself. And there might be a lot of different little, little uh, times through the day where you're waiting. And it, uh, you might find it very interesting to seed your day this way with these little kind of moments. May I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I be safe? And, um, and kind of explore and massage what this means and how to do this in a way that's meaningful for you, that touches something that's significant for you, an attitude, an approach, an intention, a wish, and see what goes on. So that's what we'll do today. And then uh, I have these two handouts here. Uh, and uh, we'll put them out by the front so you can easily pick them up as you go. And one is kind of a little bit of an overview, introduction to this loving-kindness, and then uh, a kind of overview of the simple practice we're doing, with slightly different phrases than I gave you here. And the other, the pink sheet, is, um, a, um, 
a beautiful, uh, I think it's a beautiful uh, discourse in the form of a poem that the Buddha gave, which is the, the, the one classic reference uh, in the Buddhist tradition for uh, the practice of loving kindness. And, uh, and um, I'd recommend that uh, you read this a number of times in the course of the week. And if, you're all, if you'd all like to memorize stuff, choose a few lines to memorize. And it's, uh, that has a very helpful effect on this whole practice, is to have this in the background. And then next week, we'll, um, we'll do loving kindness towards a benefactor and a friend, and uh, do the forgiveness as well, and explore some more of this. And, um, and uh, I hope that you uh, find that this uh, practice is lovely. Thank you for coming.